Spring turkey season is upon us, and don't be caught out in the woods without having Onyx Hunt on your phone. One feature Onyx has that is often overlooked for turkey hunting is their recent imagery filter with their elite memberships. This imagery is updated week to week, and it comes in extremely handy, especially when you're trying to find these gobble zones where these turkeys will go out in a high spot on a fresh clear cut and strut around all day long. Actually, I was just looking at on Onyx where, where the timber company just came into Andrew's club and did a very small clear cut along this creek, and I can see the high spots on the topographical map, but also I can see exactly where they mulch, and those are going to be hot spots for finding gobblers, especially mid-morning after they get off their hens, getting up on these little high spots in this fresh, small clear cut along the creek and strutting and gobbling all day long. If you want to give Onyx a try, you can actually download it for free, try it for seven days, and if you decide to purchase, you can use the promo code SOUTHERN and save on your premium and elite memberships. So go into this turkey season, know where you stand with Onyx. Well, guys, we have some exciting news for you from Vortex about their brand new eyewear, their Banshee and Jackal sunglasses. Me and Andrew have had these for a few weeks now, right before the release, and we've been extremely impressed. They're awesome glasses, guys. And listen, if you're needing some new sunglasses, not only do they have the VIP warranty, but they're tough as crap, guys. Uh, Scratch-resistant eyewear, uh, it's extremely important. And also, they have safety features as well. So when you're out shooting at the range, again, these are rated glasses, so you are going to be more than protected when you're at the range. But they also look fantastic when you're out around town. So right now, Vortex has some special pricing on their website, which is vortexoptics.com for the new eyewear. But also, if you use the code SOUTHERN20, you get to save even more on this special pricing for right now at vortexoptics.com. Again, check out the new eyewear from vortexoptics.com and use the promo code SOUTHERN20 to save on their brand new eyewear. If you live in the Gulf Coast region, you need to find yourself at the Eco Wild Expo May 10th through the 12th in Mobile. It is the premier outdoor expo for the Gulf Coast region, and we're going to be there. We're going to have a booth. We're super excited about it. Can't wait to meet you guys that live down there. We absolutely love the Gulf Coast region, so to be a part of this show, we're super excited about. We're going to have past podcast guests there at our booth for you to talk to, guys who are relevant for your area, who you can talk to, you can pick their brain, you can joke with them, laugh with them, tell them your story, whatever you want to do. It's going to be a awesome time. We're already working on some past podcast guests, but hey, if you live in this area and you have a suggestion for someone you want to see at that show, write in and we'll see if we can get them. There's going to be all kinds of exhibitors at the show that are focused on hunting, fishing, conservation, and recreation. There's going to be activities for the whole family there. They got axe throwing, archery. They're going to have our podcast booth. And then for the kids, they got touch tanks, a honeybee exhibition, a raptor show, kids fishing tank, BB gun range, and a butterfly house. So you're going to love it. Your kids are going to love it. It's going to be an awesome time. So head on over to ecowildexpo.com to get more information on the show and to go ahead and grab your tickets. And hey, mark it on your calendar, May 10th through the 12th. Be there. We want to see you and we're excited to talk to you. So we'll see you at the EcoWild Expo this May 10th through the 12th at the Mobile Convention Center in Mobile, Alabama. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. 
For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. All right, everybody, welcome back to the Southern Outdoorsman podcast. We are here with some technical difficulties, as usual, this evening. But we have a public land killer on for you, another guy from uh, the great state of Georgia who's actually referred to us by one of our favorites of all time, uh, Glenn Solomon, the late, great Glenn Solomon, referred this fella to us. Uh, the fella is Robert Carter. Robert, how you doing, man? I'm doing great, man. How you doing? Oh, I'm doing doing really good. It's deer season, so I'm doing a lot better than I was like a month ago. Uh, Ginger <laughs> Bowhunter, Mr. Jacob, how are you? I'm doing great, man. I'm so pumped for this weekend. Got Tennessee coming up, so uh, I am pumped to get out there. I'm excited. Yeah, man. Yeah, if, if anybody can't tell, we're doing this over a three-way phone call rather than our usual like conference call thing because our conference call thing uh, doesn't want to work tonight. But at any rate, uh, Robert, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, kind of where you hunt, and I, I guess your story, your hunting story to got, that got you to this point. All righty. Well, I live in uh, southeast Georgia here. I hunt, uh, hunt a lot of a lot of river bottom land. I've I've hunted my whole life. I grew up in a family of hunters, but uh, none of them hardly were deer hunters. I had a couple uncles that that got me started deer hunting. Probably I was around fourteen, maybe at the time, and uh, I've been bow hunting since I was eighteen, and um, I'm fifty eight now. So that's a pretty good pretty good while but uh i don't know i've always been fascinated with bows i've I've hunted all that time with trad bows except for three or four years and uh i'm just an addict i love to hunt anything that moves with a stick bow (laughs) i hear that man (laughs) Uh, yeah the stick bow is something I've, i've been fascinated with and i there was a year in high school where i just picked one up and hunted with it and i almost killed a spike uh, and then I was like, man, this is hard. And then I just picked up the compound again, but I really want to get back to, to trad bow hunting. Uh, so I got to imagine with a trad bow, I mean, what, what's your typical shot distance with that thing? I, I, I set up for 15 yards or less. I don't, I don't like to shoot long shots. Mm-hmm. I can, you know, walking around a 3d range, I can kill rubber deer at 30 yards, pretty consistent. But, uh, my average shot is usually 12 yards or less. Last year I killed, uh, 18 12 deer and six hogs my average shot was 12 under 12 yards right at 12 yards man that's what i'm talking about get them close uh out of curiosity which i promise we'll get into hunting tactics here in a second out of curiosity what's your arrow setup like are you shooting like a real heavy setup i do i shoot uh i shoot around 45 pound bows i don't i don't shoot heavy bows anymore and uh i've been doing this a long time and the neck and shoulder is telling that so, and my arrow weight, I shoot uh, around a, anywhere from a 500, depends on what bow I'm using, but between a 550 to a 600 grain arrow. That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> I know Jacob's yeah. into that kind of stuff. Jacob, Jacob's trying to build a real heavy setup. Yeah, I shoot, I shoot big broadheads as well. I shoot uh, big Simmons broadheads, inch and a, I think they're an inch and nine sixteenths wide, big two blades. They, they penetrate good with that heavy arrow. Yeah, Jacob, which one of those do you shoot? You shoot at Simmons, right? 
Uh, I, I shoot all kinds of crap through my compound because it all shoots the same. Um, I've got some Simon Makos, which are just a hundred grain heads. They're a well, you would ask me. I forgot what the cutting diameter is, but it's a it's a a main two blade when it's two bleeder blades on it. Um, but it's nothing like those. I, I'd love to get a I'd love to get a, a tree shark on a hundred and six or on a six hundred grain arrow coming out of a compound about 70, 70 pounds. I think that would be wicked. But uh, <laughs> what front shoulder? <laughs> yeah, 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 no. But uh, anyways, but no, that's really cool. Those Simmon broadheads are freaking sweet. Anyone that hasn't seen them before, if you see them, you're like, oh my god, they look they look nasty. Uh, looks super nasty, especially behind a heavy arrow. So that's that's awesome, Robert. You you uh, hunt with that setup, Robert. How long have you been hunting public land? Uh, probably around thirty years. Long time. Awesome. And mm-hmm. in that time frame, pretty much strictly with that trad bow, with your stick bow, correct? Yeah, yeah. I hunted. No, I hunted with a rifle for a little while and bow hunted as well, you know. But it's been it's been twenty five or thirty years since I killed a deer with a rifle. It's been a long time. Well, I was gonna say, what's what's it like when you're hunting public land, you know, in South Georgia, uh, especially kind of getting started with, you know, hunting with a well, at first hunting with a rifle and a, a stick bow, but really hunting with a stick bow a lot. What was that learning curve like for you to be able, you know, consistently start getting on deer and actually be able to get, you know, shots throughout the season? Number one, I don't, I don't hunt when they have rifle hunts on public land. It's it's pretty much a circus around here. I don't I don't go to them. I hunt, I hunt uh, bow hunts only. I hunt archery hunting and sometimes a primitive weapons hunt. I have a number of management areas, you know, around me, and there's always something archery going on on, on at least one of them. You know, early on, I, I, I didn't know what I was doing like anybody beginning, and I would hunt tracks and and uh, trails and and this sort of thing. And then uh, I, be- I actually remember reading an article by, by Ben Lee a long time ago, and he was talking about hunting persimmons. I forget what magazine. It was some hunting magazine. And then uh, I started looking for persimmons in the swamp, and then, crap, I found some. <laughs> and deer were killing them. And so uh, I did like old Ben Lee said and, and uh, started climbing on persimmons. And naturally, I, I climbed too far away from them. And, uh, you know, this, uh, with any kind of bow, there's a learning curve. And then uh, I finally decided, I said, if, uh, if I don't kill a deer, it'll be because I run him off because he's too close. It won't be because I missed him. So I, I began setting up for 12, 15-yard shots. And uh, my recovery ratio was like top notch after that and then i spooked some deer that were close to me but you know overall when i usually when i when i could see one i could kill him yeah that's awesome man i love getting close to deer like that and that's something that's kind of a, a thing that i'm going through this year as well where i'm just trying to get more comfortable setting up that much closer to the deer especially with the compound like there's that temptation to kind of set up you know, a little bit back because you have a little bit more of that distance advantage, but I'm not that good with a bow. So I'm like, man, who am I kidding? I really should probably be shooting at him like 20 and then. <laughs> so, uh, but, uh, let, I mean, let's kick things right off here with kind of some early season talk, you know, nice and timely. Um, I've been riding the struggle bus a little bit till yesterday on the early season. Um, so, I mean, I'm just, I'm curious to hear as to, Early season tactics, you know, you talk about you like to hunt feed trees and stuff, such as persimmons, and I assume oaks and stuff too. Um, can you kind of walk us through what, what your early season hunts look like? All right. In my early season, I'll, uh, I mean, I'll, I'll, 
I'll, I'll, I'll start in February. Just say I'm going to a new public land property. And we actually recently got one a couple of years ago over there. I'll, I'll, I'll walk in February while I'm pig hunting and try to find every persimmon I can. You can see them from a long ways off. They're almost black in the swamp. And mind you, there's two kinds of persimmon. There's the kind that grows up on the higher land, fence row type stuff. And there's the, the black trees that look like a light pole in the swamp. The ones up top drop later than the ones below. You can, The ones in the swamp will drop the first week of bow season. You can kill deer on them. So anyway, I locate a bunch of persimmons. And then in August, when it's a uh, small game, there again, pig hunting, I'll go around with my binoculars and find the ones that have a lot of fruit on them. You know, right when it's time to hunt, then I go recheck the ones, you know, you've already cut the number in half probably from the ones that had fruit and the ones that didn't. I'll check the ones that are, are actually feeding. And I'll determine which one I hunt by naturally the one with the most sign, the one in the thickest cover, and the one that has the most consistent wind. Man, you, and, st- uh, you stole my question. I was about to ask if you if you related them to thick cover. Yeah, I, I'd rather hunt really thick stuff. I mean, I like to hunt thick. You want a, you want a deer to come in there, you know, those last minute, almost dark deer, they're pretty tough. I want him to come in there about 5, 6 o'clock. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. Be back at the truck before dark. Yeah, man. Yeah. It, so before, before we had you on, we've had a string of guys who are just all – just public land killers like yourself who get out there and they just know what to look for and they get it done and and people that are woodsmen and even in the short time I've been talking to you just now I can tell that you're a woodsman like something like like you're man I hate to say it but like you're kind of like Facebook deer hunter like the kind of guy who doesn't really know a whole lot about the woods he might know about deer but he doesn't know about the woods isn't going to know that thing about you know the two different types of persimmons and and that kind of stuff and i I, you know, people sometimes are like, well, what, what would knowing trees, how would that help me that much? And I mean, that's a pretty good example of it right there. Um, but one thing that has been consistent with everybody we've had on since Glenn is that ev- all y'all killers like thick cover. I mean, we are beating a dead horse, man. <laughs> everybody that gets on here who, who really knows what they're doing hunts that thick cover. So I'm really curious to know what is thick cover to you? What does that look like? Uh when I'm climbed on a hot tree, I can't see 40 yards. Okay, so you, mean, you can't see 40 yards while you're up in the tree. Right, right. I mean, that's 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 the perfect place for me. You can, and, and it, it don't have to be that way sometimes. You can climb in a spot. You want it thick for the deer. The deer is the one that, that needs to feel secure. And uh, if you're in like a big palmetto flat, you know, I mean, you can climb and see 200 yards as long as it's thick under there where the deer feels secure. Mm-hmm. And then uh, reeds, uh, I like to hunt around a, a lot of uh, river cane, things like that. I mean, anywhere thick is good. Thicker is better. Yeah. Now, which <laughs> I love that you're saying that because I, I finally, me and my buddy Michael finally located like a nice, nice thick ridge that is a lot like you're talking about which we'll cover that in the intro or the outro uh after we finish up with you but um so these thickets out of curiosity are can you find them on a map or is it something that you're really just looking at boots on the ground no it's boots on the ground you can't you're not gonna find them on a map yeah Mm -hmm. i i relate because uh 
the this thicket that we recently found, we originally marked the spot because of a nice saddle that led out of an old cutover. And then we got up there and figured out that, which is a long story. Again, we'll get into it later, but but that those hardwoods up on this this ridge had been high graded, which means they came in and just cut all the the really nice timber out and left kind of the crappy trees that wouldn't get as much money. And man, those hardwoods up there are thick as crap. I mean, on the ground you can't see five to ten feet. And I had my best set of the best set of the year um, yesterday on that kind of stuff. Um, mm-hmm. But kind of but kind of moving forward a little bit. Um, once the uh, once persimmons are kind of dried up, or, or maybe it's an off year for persimmons, what kind of other stuff are you looking for, uh, food wise? I look for uh, every now and then you can actually hunt some muscadines early, but they usually fall out, you know, before bow season. But you sometimes can get a week on those, and uh, then I start and and crab apples. You can look for crab apples as well. They'll be up, you know, on the little bit higher higher ground. But then, uh, I mean, I start looking for water oaks. The water oaks are dropping. I've killed uh, on water oaks this year already. And, uh, you know, I start looking for for hot water oaks. And, you know, I hear people north of me that talk about the white oak drops real early, but our white oaks, they don't drop. And a white oak really is, has no bearing for me down here where we hunt. We, we have a, quite a few of them, but they don't make acorns a lot. And uh, they don't. I mean, they, I, I very seldom hunt white oaks, but the water oak is, uh, I kill, I kill more deer on water oaks than any other thing. Interesting. Um, yeah, I'm not, I'm not really in Southeast Georgia. I'm more in kind of central Georgia, but, uh, mm-hmm. I, man, I, I've seen kind of the same thing. There's a lot, there's definitely a lot of white oaks there, but I have found very few white oaks that are dropping right now. Um, the, and up to, you know, what I saw yesterday, I saw quite a few red oaks dropping yesterday. But uh, it's mostly been water oaks down in the bottoms. I mean, they just they've yeah. just been raining for like three weeks now. I mean, yeah. it's yeah. it definitely seems like it's it's been the thing to to get on. Um, so it's it sounds like most of your stuff is is pre scouted pretty well. Um, so are you ever going in blind to an area and just kind of walk in until you find something? I, I I'll go into. Uh, I mean, it'll be areas I've already hunted. But like if like right now water oaks are dropping, I'll go in. I'm going to a management area tomorrow. Nothing don't happen, and uh, I hadn't hadn't scouted it and then since uh, August. But I'll go in with my stand on my back and just check water oak after water oak until I find a hot one and sit on it. So what does a hot tree look like to you? What kind of sign do you need to see under that tree? I can I can walk by it at 40 yards and see that it's on fire. I mean I can. <laughs> The leaf, it'll be tore up underneath it. Leaves will be tore up. I'll find three, four, five piles of droppings under it. I mean, I'll just be able to tell that it's it's smoking. I won't climb a tree that don't have deer deer crap under it. Yeah, I was gonna say that that sounds awesome. Now, Robert, you know, or do you pretty much hunt? Um, I guess you say like a feed tree tactic the whole season, or do you ever change up and, and, and try anything else? You know, later on in the season, I, I'll hunt fools. I'll, I'll climb. Uh, I mean, it goes in this order. I'll hunt persimmons and crab apples, then uh, water oaks, red oaks, swamp chestnut, and then there's water oaks will drop pretty much the whole all the way up to December around here. Different trees, and but I hunt a lot of funnels, meaning uh, crossings between sloughs, uh, creek crossings. And uh, funnels around clear cuts, open areas, things like that. 
Got you. Let, let's dive into that a little bit on just like, again, your thoughts on hunting funnels, just because <laughs> your funnels, you know, compared to someone that's hunting like more rolling hills and get more topography, I feel like yours is slightly different. Really, it's not. But would you kind of give an example a little bit more in depth on some of these funnels on like what someone can look for? You gave a really good one yesterday, which you might, you may or may not want to talk about today. Because I'm talking bodies of water, but like, how do the deer use those funnels, especially when there's water involved? I mean, I, I hunt uh, like big oxbow lakes. You know, there's there's an end to them somewhere, and uh, you know, around the end of a big a long oxbow, there'll be a funnel there. There'll be, you know, you have creek crossings, uh, beaver dams, and um, the, a lot of people to hunt hunt a funnel at a beaver dam where the dam is at. But a lot of the better hunting is at the other end of the the backed up water where it's usually a lot thicker right there, and there's usually some a good funnel around that. Uh, real thick cutovers. I'll, I'll hunt uh, where where say an oxbow a slough runs into a a cutover, it's really, usually really good in there. That'd be like kind of the only opening in the places where the slough is at, actually, in some real thick cover. There's a, a clear cut I hunt on a management area that is, I mean, you, you you can't even walk through it, but you can get in those sloughs and get up in the heart of it and, and uh, find the crossings on those sloughs. Mm-hmm. It's really good hunting. You can see deer all day. Oh, wow. So you're you're like pushing up into the, th- like into the bedding area like via are, are you accessing by water or are you like wading up that slough i go up the slough I, I catch it when it's it's very little water in it and it's uh and that's this is late season stuff now i don't like to do this early mm-hmm. when i'm hunting food and uh, a lot of creek crossings i have i got two lock-ons and creek crossings right now i put them in there a couple of weeks ago and i, I won't set them till the end of october and uh, I'll, I'll slip in there without scouting i know they'll be good you know, you find a place like that, the, the way I find most of my funnels, you know, you're walking through the woods doing your scouting whenever, and you see a good rub line coming around a, a slough, or you see a big trail crossing, and so, you know, I bet I bet it's a good place to hunt, but I, I'd rather hunt food trees. But then when I, I got a time I can't find a food tree, there's just nothing hot, then I'll go set those places like that. And, uh, you know, you, you find a good place to hunt by scouting, but you, you kill deer. I mean, you got to find the right tree by hunting. And and you hunt a funnel enough and see deer coming through it. And, and for me, I want them 20 yards or less, preferably 15 or less. You know, hunting and watching deer a couple of times, and I know right where to climb. Then for unless they cut the woods or something changes, it'll, it'll be good for a lifetime. Uh, one thing I want to kind of jump back to a little bit is a minute ago you mentioned beaver ponds. And how people will set up on like you know a deer crossing the dam, uh, but it, correct me if I'm wrong. But you're saying that you're more you're more likely to hunt the back of the pond where where the where the water kind of ends, I guess. Uh, and typically the beavers have chewed everything out back there. Yeah, I'll hunt the the, the back side of it. It's usually a lot thicker there. And most people, if I do hunt the front side, I don't hunt the dam. I hunt down from it. Usually on down, it may be 100 yards will be where the the really good crossing is at. Huh. Interesting. Yeah, that's not something that, that I've ever thought of. Um, but we've always had – I've hunted beaver dams here and there, and we've always had luck on them, but I've never 
I've never like fine tuned it, and, and maybe that's what I've been missing. Um, but w- one more thing about the thick cover, by the way, when you're when you're on ground level, uh, looking at this thick cover, how far do, do you expect to see through it when it's good cover? Man, I've had hogs at at ten yards and couldn't shoot them. <laughs> I mean, it's it'll be thick, it'll be really thick. Yeah, like like rabbit hunting thick. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. So, um, talking a little bit about, um, early season some more, uh, what, when do you, when does your rut start? The bucks will really be moving about the last week of October. Okay. And, uh, yeah, I mean, but we have a messed up rut here around my house. We, they had a, you know, there were no deer here very much and they put deer from, uh, Illinois in here. Uh, and then they put some, uh, no, yeah, Illinois. Actually, they put eight. And the road I live on, a little my drive, it used to go straight into some big woods. They put eight, they turned eight deer loose here in the sixties. And then uh, they put a lot of island deer in here. They caught on Jaco Island and places like that. Mm-hmm. And so, so they, I mean, you can, there'll be a doe being chased by a buck uh, third week of September, you know, right now. And then you'll see them running them at, in December. It's uh, it's kind of crazy. Dang, yeah, that that is. <laughs> I think a lot of people in the South could probably relate to that. We, a lot of us in Bama and Georgia, and I'm sure Mississippi too, have a weird, strange rut. Um, but uh, so when you're kind of transitioning, let's, or, you know, what, I'll put it this way: when you're going from like leaves on to leaves off, like when leaves really start dropping, and we're getting later into the fall. Uh, do you see like a, a hard shift in deer movement as far as the kind of places that they're hanging out? Right now is our poorest time, I believe. And I think when the leaves begin to fall off, I mean, I mean the the deer movement really picks up. The colder weather, actually, you know, the, the colder weather is what does it and uh, gets things, things stirring. Do you, do you see them shifting areas when the leaves start dropping? Not, not, they seem to go more in, in thicker cover, but not, not not really i mean in in the the bottoms and places i hunt there'll be pine thickets out in the middle of them i always when the swamp gets wide open like that you know it, it i tend i tend to to go more to thicker stuff to see more deer one thing i'd like to kind of have you go over robert is would you mind kind of walking us through a hunt on one of these funnels that maybe is a memorable hunt for you whether you shot a, a buck a doe a hog it doesn't matter but is there one that kind of jumps up at you as like, you know, that would be a really good example of like kind of hunting these funnels? Yeah, I, I would. I, um, I, but there's a, I had a really good hunt on a funnel. Actually, a friend of mine found a funnel, Chris Bikes. He had, um, there's a, a management area we hunt. It has a, a real long lake, probably, shoot, I bet it's 600 yards long. And it's pretty wide. It's an oxbow. And, it, and it's, 300 yards off the river as well and anyway it uh around one end of it there they had uh clear cut some land on the other side of it that that was maybe a seven eight year old clear cut and it's grown up into a really thick jungle and deer were bedding in there and then they were coming out into the open swamp to feed it you know on the acorns and everything all the feed was on the open side and uh he located it and he killed a an awful eight point where the end of the lake was at and uh 
it narrowed up and deer were deer were pouring across there coming in and out of that that thicket and then uh, the next year he had to work so he gave me the blessing to go climb there and i killed a 10 point out of a tree probably five yards from the one he killed the big eight point out of and since that time we've both killed several deer no 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 more big bucks and i put a friend there that also shot a really good buck there and there's a the sweet thing about it when you have a funnel like that and it has a huge swamp chestnut right there that you climb under <laughs> it's, it's just a, a funnel with food it's a really good place to hunt you're, i guess you're not hunting around much topography right like are you ever hunting uh like saddles or, or anything like that or are you focused more on like what i would call like a flatland funnel like like where yeah. you're looking at generally other stuff in flatland yeah, everything I hunt here is flat. I mean, it's occasionally I go up to Oak Muggy WMA, and it's like going to the mountains for me. <laughs> and uh, but I, I still hunt feed there, and up there more hunt more crab apples, and uh, I actually hunt a lot of sawtooth. They planted a lot of sawtooth up there that nobody messes with, and man, there's some some good hunting on them. But uh, but everything I hunt is flat, and and uh, it'll go. I mean, I can tell a guy, I, I sent a guy one time, I told him, I said, go to the little Oak Ridge over there and told him where to go climb. He was from up north and he never could find the Oak Ridge. It was only like two feet difference. You know, <laughs> he was expecting something to be 20 feet tall. <laughs> that, that, that would be me. <laughs> um, so if let's just say, let's say you had a guy who's like maybe – Maybe he's kind of new, kind of not. Like he knows his way around the woods good enough to where you don't have to hold his hand, but he's still not real good at hunting yet. And you brought him to one of your areas. What what would you tell him to look for if he just wanted to kill a deer that day? Like what kind of feature would you tell him to go find? I mean, I would I would definitely try to put him on food, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, whatever happened to be dropping at that time, I'd, I'd show him, you know, what to look for. It's, it's really for a guy that's that walks and got a, a little common sense about hunting about reading sign you can you can find a hot feed tree in in any of these swamps down here i mean if if water oaks are on fire at over at uh one management area i guarantee you 40 miles away they on fire over there as well i'd, I'd teach a new guy first first uh how to how to identify trees and then I'd, I'd uh, show him, take him to a hot tree with four or five piles of droppings under it and shoot up acorns everywhere and let him get an idea of what it looks like and go from there. Another thing that I'm pretty curious about is uh, your thoughts on, like, wind and, and scent control and everything. Uh, do you use any, like, scent control practices? No, I don't I don't believe there's any, any way to beat a deer's nose unless the wind. I, I do wash my clothes in baking soda. Uh I use I, I got some of that green soap you buy in in town. I forget what you call it. It's in a. I use that to wash me with, but I, I often wash in baking soda myself. I wear rubber boots when I'm going through the woods. I try not to touch anything with my hands, and uh, especially around the tree when I'm going to climb the tree. There, I'm really scent cautious around the tree. I, I I never if I find a feed tree, I never climb on the east or west side of it because. The way I hunt, I always hunt a new spot in the evening first. I'll hunt it in the evening, leave my stand, come back in the morning. If I don't kill nothing, I'll pull out and go somewhere else. I seldom climb the same tree more than those two sets. If it's really on fire, a lot of sign, and I don't have anything else that looks better, 
I may come back and hunt it, but but most of the time not. Uh, I don't climb on the east or the west side of a tree. The reason I don't do that because of uh, the thermals will draw towards the sun. So if I, if I climb on the west side of the tree for an evening hunt, the thermals going away from the tree. If I come back in the morning, well, they're going to be blowing through the tree. So I'll climb whatever's a good wind on the north or south side of my intended target tree. And uh, that way I'm good for thermals either way, morning or evening. That is some, that's something I haven't heard before, but I've also never, I've, I really don't have much experience hunting your type of areas. So, um, so interesting. So in the morning, like for instance, you'll have, you'll see thermals kind of pulling eastward for the most part. And, and then in the right. evening you'll have them pulling westward. Right. Okay. And then if you'll, if you'll watch in the afternoons, the thermals are going westward towards the sun, and the, and that's that's considering there's no no front of some sort coming, you know, with a, a wind blowing. If you have a lull in the wind, no matter which way it's blowing, the thermals are going to go towards the sun. It'll draw that way. But when the the sun breaks below the trees at at deer thirty, <laughs> I used to call it, <laughs> the, it'll reverse. the The wind will reverse and go east usually for a little while, maybe only for ten minutes or so. If you pay attention to that next time you hunt, and you'll, you'll see what I'm talking about. Interesting. And so that's why I don't hunt east or west of the. Of the and that's actually Glenn Solomon and I were talking about that once. Uh, pig hunting. We had a really good place. You'd go in there and hunt it, or he would, and he'd go in there and hunt it, and with a good wind in the evenings. And then when it did that reverse, about time for the pigs to come out, they'd bust him. And uh, so, and and he he learn that the hard way like i did we both agreed on on that part of it yeah yeah <laughs> man that, that's pretty cool i'm gonna i'm gonna take that into consideration because the wind was giving me fits yesterday it was supposed to be an east wind and i think it went every single direction except east i mean it was yeah. it was one of your typical early season hunts i guess uh jacob do you have anything about that thermal that thermal no discussion? but the, I- yeah, I think that's super cool. Like that is super cool. I'm over here smiling, thinking about it, because I'm like, that is something I really want to try to pay attention to, um, especially like on those days when it's you know relatively calm, like you know you know the wind's under five miles an hour or so, and just see how that plays out, because uh, that is very fascinating, and I'd love to kind of see that for myself and start paying attention more to that in the evenings and mornings. Um, uh, yeah, that's 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 super cool. <laughs> that's super cool, Robert. <laughs> so, um, I've got a question. Uh, kind of jumping into access. My whole thing is I love talking to access. Anyone that listens to the podcast, uh, Robert, when it comes to like hunting the style of hunting you do on public land, what is your thoughts on access? Uh, when we talked to Glenn, he had some very uh, keen thoughts on how he likes to access and his thoughts on it but what is your thoughts when it comes to access hunting on public land and uh do you do anything different than what the average guy probably does i i probably go farther <laughs> i go farther i go in in uh what some people would consider trash wood stick stuff and uh for a while i hunted out of the boat and, and it's honestly i mean you don't have to it's a in my opinion, I don't like running the river at night. I hunt, uh, I may, there could be two roads going into a certain bottom and I may take the long way because of the wind. 
and uh, and I don't and I think about it not necessarily so much when I'm going in, but but if you go in a place and you leave after dark, I want a good win when I come out because uh, you know there's probably deer coming in there right then as you're coming out. I, I believe you have a better if, if deer don't know you've been there, <laughs> you have a better chance tomorrow. And so I I I, I use access uh, not necessarily the shortest way is the best sometimes. So what do you, what, what, go ahead, Jacob. No, I was just going to agree. I think that's something that a lot of people do not realize. And I'm guilty myself, you know, when it's, you know, a morning hunt or, you know, an afternoon hunt, I feel like going in on either one of those, I'm very uh, keen on playing it safe and, you know, taking the longest route, you know, whatever works best. But I feel like sometimes in the evenings, and I feel like a lot of guys are like this, they, you know, you get in a rush, you're like, oh, man, I need to get back to the truck. I got to get back to the house, whatever, see the family, everything else. And you start slipping up on the aspect of maybe you're not coming out clean. You know, maybe you don't necessarily are paying attention to the wind. Maybe you're not paying attention to how much noise you're making. Um, so I think that's a really good point, like you said, is, you know, pay a lot of attention, especially on the way out and make sure, you know, you're going to have a good exit route uh, that's not going to blow those deer out so you can come back and hunt the next day. Yeah, exactly. And the way that I hunt, I always hunt my my first time in a place in the afternoon, and I definitely want to sneak out because I'm going to hunt there the next morning. You know, that that's really makes me be careful going out in the afternoon. I'm curious, uh, what are your thoughts on on like making noise? Like, let's say it's a real it's a it's a calm day, not much wind, and it's dry like we've been having. Uh, one of those days where it's just really really hard to not make a bunch of noise. Uh, what do you do to like minimize your noise or, or at least have it make not as big of an impact? You just have to, I mean, you take your time and, uh, I try not to walk a, a hard, steady walk. I like to walk a few little bit, stop for a second, walk a little bit, stop for a second, kind of break all that up. I mean, cause you can make a lot of racket if you just like, I'm going straight to the stand and, and don't slack up. <laughs> you can make some noise, but, uh. You know, I pick my way through the woods, and most of the places I hunt have pigs as well, and I'm, I'm pig hunting to the stand when I'm going, you know. Just the main thing, take your time. It, it's a lot safer, and you always, you know, I, I kill, I, it's common for me to kill stuff a mile from the truck. And, and uh, you know, you got to go a mile, so you allow enough time for that. You, you're really messing your hunting up when you, when you get in a hurry. Take your time. You, I go back there. I sit in the morning still around 11 o'clock. You know, we wait all season to hunt, so I'm not going to be in a hurry when it's time. I'm going to I'm gonna enjoy every step of it. Yeah. Uh, man, I think that's something that can't be hit on hard enough because I am so guilty of that, getting in a hurry and just like, man, I got to get up in the tree. I'm losing, the, I'm losing daylight. I'm going to get caught trying to get up the tree, whatever, whatever. And I just, man, I get, I get in the biggest rush and – the it's it's funny because the hunts this year that i've like forced myself to really slow down and really think about what i'm doing those hunts have been my best hunts you know oh yeah where i yeah, can't help but well, go ahead yeah it's, it's it's unsafe i mean really and and people do the same thing scouting they'd be in a hurry scouting like I, i'm just gonna run in this bottom and check some places out and they climb on the first sign they see and then they uh, sit there that evening and watch deer 75 yards away on a tree that they should have checked before they climbed. They were in too big a hurry. 
And uh, I mean, I've done that. So, and I, oftentimes I go in the bottom with my stand if I'm sure something's going to be hot in there. But I check a lot of trees before I go up. Uh, I've got a question. Talk about like checking a bunch of trees like that. Do you see uh, any disturbance of you, like you walking around in there affecting the deer at all? Especially if you know you're expecting the deer to possibly come in there within an hour or two of you walking around in that bottom. No, I mean I wear I wear rubber boots, uh, lacrosse rubber boots, and I can honestly say I can't remember the last time a deer smelled where I walked. I don't, I don't use any kind of cover scent or pee on my, you know, don't pee on my shoes or nothing like that. And uh, I, I wanted to, when that deer was in there yesterday eating, I wanted to smell just like that when he comes in there today and I'm waiting on him. I, I don't, I don't want anything different. Now, another thing that's kind of came to my mind, do you use calling at all uh, throughout the season ever? I, I carry a grunt call with me and uh, I can honestly say I've grunted some deer up before. I see them going by and grunt real soft and they turn and uh, I've rattled a I rattled a little bit, and it's, it's uh, and I've I've rattled a deer. In. I've never killed one that I rattled in, but I've rattled deer in on public land before. And the the few times I've I've got them to come in, they came wide open, and they were gone just that quick. And and it was, and I've never killed one rattling like that. Uh, one thing when we were just talking about all this that for something peaked it in my mind was uh, what what kind of value do you put on buck sign and what kind of buck sign do you like to see? I, man, I hunt food, and uh, it's always good. You know, if you can see some big rubs, it makes you feel pretty good. At least you know there's a big buck there. But I, I could care less about buck sign. I hunt, I hunt, uh, I hunt food, and uh, you know, if you if you're hunting a big chestnut and it's got rubs under it and a couple of scrapes, that's pretty good. But most of your scrapes get hit at night, I believe. And uh, I put trail cameras on them a mile in the swamp, expecting to see a lot of daytime movement, and all the pictures will be at night. In a funnel, I like rubs in a funnel. That kind of lets you know, you know, if a funnel is, say, 75 yards wide, and I'm trying to get into that magic 15, that rub line helps me know exactly where where at least that deer is coming through at. But, yeah. but I, I'm, I, I'm not really a trophy hunter. I, I try to – I want to kill two rack bucks every year like everybody else. But uh, I'm not a big buck hunter. I, I like to I kill what's legal. <laughs> I'm a deer hunter. I love to see them feathers go through one's ribs. Yeah, I'm right there with <laughs> you, man. I'm right there with you. Um, yeah, so that's something I like asking all the all these different guests that we have, like what kind of buck sign they look for. And one thing that surprised me over these last few weeks is the amount of guys that I've asked that who don't put that much stock on buck sign, um, where and really a lot of them kind of like yourself were saying something along the lines of it, it can be kind of misleading because you see these rubs and scrapes, but I mean, and, and this is from my experience with those, like, especially scrapes, 90% of the scrapes like have no, like you have to be on the right scrape and usually you're within 60 yards of where they're laying down. And that's where, that's where you, you get your daytime movement, which is just, I mean, and, Every one that I've ever found like that where I get consistent daylight pictures are, I mean, just dang near impossible to hunt just because of how you have to access it and, and wind and all these other things. So it's definitely interesting to, to hear you talk about that. Um, uh, one thing that, that we talked about earlier that I'd definitely like to get a little bit more into is how you were talking about the the sloughs that run up into thickets. Um, so 
when when you're pushing into an area like that, do you do you try to to figure out like the exact locations of beds ever? No, no. So so you're more just looking for the cover and getting real close to it and you know, you know the beds are there but you don't need to know where exactly they're laying, right? No, I don't. I, I ease in and you know, if you bust deer out one time, well you know you went too far. <laughs> and uh but I ease in and, and I, I look for the crossings on the slough. That's and, and where they're traveling through and uh you know, and common sense tells you if they're going left or right. You know, you, you, you look for that and uh but that's that's the late season deal and I really don't do that a whole lot. That's that's like uh there's nothing else working and let's let's go in there where they're at. Mm-hmm. So, um, out of kind of what we talked about today, or maybe something a tactic that we haven't mentioned, uh, over the years, what has been kind of your number one, like, uh, I guess your number one tactic, like what, what do you, like when you're typically killing deer, what is like the spot where you find it and you're like, yeah, I'm about to kill a deer right here. Man, that's almost always early on persimmons on good persimmon years mm-hmm. but you know persimmons persimmons in south i mean it's different as you go up but down here there's nothing else feeding maybe some muscadines but uh the water oaks may be just starting but that is the only thing you know they've been eating briars all year and the persimmons are, are uh, that's that they go crazy for them i've actually seen does run to them you be in the stand in the afternoon does come out of the thicket or, or actually they're yearlings or fawns they come out of the thicket and the fawns just break and run. They want to get there before mama and eat them persimmons up. But uh, persimmons are, are good. I mean, you can go to a persimmon tree and you're standing there looking and maybe one or two fall while you're standing there. You just start grinning because you know you're about to kill a deer here. Mm-hmm. Uh, you do the same thing with water oaks. I found a water oak uh, last week. I, wa- I walked under I, Well, I knew it was there and uh, I checked uh, all kind of water oaks before I got to it. And there was nothing. And I got to this water oak, and it looked like you had drug plows underneath that joker. And there were probably a dozen piles of deer droppings on it. And, uh, I, I mean, I killed a deer on it the next day and then one the next day. Or two days, two days later. Man, I can't believe that I haven't asked this question before. But um, when when you're talking about getting close to these thickets and everything, how big does a thicket have to be for you to – for you to really look at it and think that it's going to hold, you know, decent deer. Uh, the the one, There's basically two different ones that I hunt like that. And the one is probably 50 acres or better. And then, uh, there's another one, probably half that. So, so just, uh, like if you had to put a size to it, um, like how small is too small? Do you think? Uh, if the deer can hear you, no matter where you at around it, then it's too small. Uh, okay. I gotcha. Okay, so, yeah, uh, it's not too uncommon to, like, kind of, or at least where I'm at, it's not too uncommon to run up on something, like a thicket that is, like, maybe an acre in size. Uh, so, yeah. so you'd say that's probably a little too small? Yeah, it's, and if you're anywhere close to it, if it's a deer in there, he knows you're there. Mm-hmm, yeah. Jacob, you got anything? No, no, I've got a, I've got a question, which Andrew, it's one that you mentioned you wanted to start asking more and more, which is the spot and spot, um, that we did. Who did we do that with? Um, 
think that was with uh, Cody. Yeah, I was going to see if you wanted to ask that, kind of talking about like spot and spot, kind of breaking down a full hunt. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I, yeah, I forgot about that. Um, so, yeah, one thing that I'm trying to start asking more when I can remember it is uh, like when you're going into an area – and we've we've maybe touched on this just a little bit today, but when you when you go into an area and you find the the spot where you're like, okay, this there's going to be some deer coming through here later. How do you go about picking the right tree, like as as though you're picking quote unquote the spot in the spot where you're setting yourself up for the best possible shot? Well, the first thing I look at, I try to figure out how wide of a I guess it's a funnel you're talking about. Deer coming through there. How how wide of a place it is, and 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 the wind then the wind direction, and you know if you go, if the if the if you go half you know go climb in the middle of it, and you got a bad wind where you've killed half of it. If that makes any sense. Yeah. And so uh, you know, but I, I believe like on a feed tree it's easy, but if you're looking at a flow area, a place where deer are coming through. You have to. Sometimes you you don't you won't kill a deer your first set there. You hit, you found a good place to hunt and you just got to find the right tree by hunting it. And uh, but I try not to go past my wind. I wanna I wanna climb. I keep working working towards the the far side of my wind each set until I find the right tree and then it's usually right from then on. You know. Yeah. So so in other words, you're kind of. You're kind of hanging back on on the edge of, of where it's kind of safe to climb. Like if you like, let's just say you've got like a like a fifty yard wide funnel that uh, right. that runs east to west, and you're on the south side of it with a north wind. You'll sit that very s- southern edge of that funnel, and you know if they're if they're coming out on the other side, then you might push north and kind of let your wind blow through half of that funnel. If you if you've seen at that point that the deer aren't really using that side of it. Yeah, yeah, I do something like that. I, I really like I hunt high percentage things, and uh, a funnel. It, the first time you set it is not high percentage. You more or less scouting it with your first set. Kind of a, I've heard Mister Warren say a look and see hunt, <laughs> and then you uh, you go from there on funnels and and flow areas. Yeah, so it's almost like you're doing kind of an observation set where you're kind of you're hanging back where you might kill one right there, but really you're trying to just observe and see what's going on, right? Right, right. Yeah. Um, and if you're shooting a long-range weapon where you're killing them the first time, but but I'm narrowing it down to a 15-yard shot, mm-hmm. you know, I have to be really careful. When uh, when you're going into a spot, when do you think you've boogered up a spot too bad that you won't return to it? Is there something that, that you could do or something that happens where you're like, ah, oh, this, this area's kind of shot. I probably shouldn't come back. Well, if I've touched too much stuff with my hands or clothes, you know, I, I can get away with a lot if the only thing touching the ground is my rubber boots. You know, then I I, I don't feel good hunting it. If I've uh, you know, if you if say you've if I've killed a deer there, and then I'll, I'll I'll if I kill a deer in the evening, I'll go hunt it in the morning and maybe kill one in the morning. But I bone my animals out where they fall, and I want to, you know, the big buzzards flapping and all that on the carcass. Uh, that, that's boogered up from there for me then. And and if I've I've get busted. If the wind's got me a couple of times, then then I'll I'll, I'll quit hunting. A lot a lot of people uh, have a place that they go hunt and they say maybe you know see deer or come in contact with deer every time they see it, but they get busted every time because of the wind or whatever. 
and they keep going back simply because they see or hear deer every time, but they never kill one. You want to you want to kill deer, you quit hunting them places. You waste your whole vacation time seeing and hearing deer all week, but you got busted every time and you didn't shoot nothing. So leave those places alone and go on and find another spot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, when you're up in the tree, if your wind switches and it starts blowing in the direction that you think the deer would come from, do you get down and adjust or you just ride it out? Uh, most, uh, to be honest, most of the time I ride it out. If it's, uh, you know, like I said, I only hunt a place the evening and the morning and usually move. And if it's now if it's a funnel, I I, I don't really like, I don't want to sit there and, and ruin a funnel. Uh, what about when you get busted in the stand? Like, let's say, like what happened to me yesterday. A freaking doe smells you and blows at you for 45 minutes. Uh, do you consider that spot shot? No, no. I've, if I, a lot of times, if I get busted by one, I, I you know, I blow back at them. <laughs> and, but I, I mean, I've, I've had deer under me before with another deer over there blowing like 50 yards away and the deer under me don't even pay it any attention. Yeah. Yeah. That actually, that happened to me yesterday. Uh, I had a, actually I had a buck like within bow range and this doe behind me started flipping out cause she smelled me and that buck just kind of went about his business eating acorns all up in the thick stuff. Uh, yeah. Jacob, you got anything on that? None on that, but one thing I want to touch on, I can't believe I forgot it until, uh, Robert, you mentioned it again, but you've been quartering and packing out deer and boning out deer for a long time. How long have you been doing that? Uh, probably 20 years. See, me and Andrew talked about a few years ago that we had never heard or seen anyone do that in the Southeast. But again, you're, I'm going to call you like one of the OG guys doing it, uh, you know, boning out and packing out deer. Uh, and I guess hogs too. Um, what kind of got you to that point? Was it because you're going in so deep that just dragging wasn't worth it or what did that come to? Well, man, I, I, it's just, uh, you, you drag, you drag the deer hog all the way home, you know, to the truck, get him home, skin him, and then haul all that mess off back to the woods. (laughs) (laughs) That's what I say. (laughs) I'm not, I'm not the smartest guy, you know, but that don't make any sense. And, uh, (laughs) And plus, it gives, you know, we're hunting public land. We're trying to get away from people. A lot of people don't go deep because getting the animal out is a big problem for them. And, I mean, you can get your normal deer that you kill down here. You know, I killed a 10-point. That's one of the deer, the deer I killed out of the funnel I was telling you earlier about. And a friend of mine, Alan Oliver, he was hunting not far from me, and he came in. Uh, I towed him a stand out, came back before I trailed the deer. And he came with me, and, and uh, I had a – he was, like, amazed. He'd never – I guess he'd never seen anybody pack a deer out like that. And I had a regular – just a backpack that you get from Bass Pro and the whole deer fit in it. I mean, I boned out the deer, and I like a 175, 80-pound buck. I boned him out and put him in the backpack and cut his head off, and we were gone. <laughs> He's like, man, that would have killed me to have to get this deer out of here. I said, no, we're going hunting this evening. <laughs> 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 yeah. yeah i'm right there with you i I remember packing my first one out and i was like man i could have saved my back a lot of trouble if i'd been doing this <laughs> for all these years Ooh, Cause, yeah. i mean personally to me which people have laughed at me before for saying this because c- they've never done it but man packing a deer out is one thousand times easier than dragging one out i don't care who you mm-hmm. are i don't care what you look like i don't care what you do it is easier straight up 
Uh, if you can put that weight and just walk and not have to drag it and have it get hung up on every tree and everything. Yeah, I I remember killing a small buck once close to a mile in the swamp before I was packing him out. And I I, naturally I gutted him and I I pulled his horns up around my belt and tied him around my waist and drug him a mile like that. All the hair was gone off his hip. It looked like he got hit by a car or something. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, I was thinking, I was thinking about that. Uh, actually, the last time I was in those woods, you know, you go by these places where you've killed deer before and relive all that. And I was thinking, man, that little deer like to kill me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've had a few drags that that almost broke my will. I was just like. I'm an idiot <laughs> for trying to drag this thing. Because I, I used to hunt, or I still do hunt it, but I, I hunt a place that, I mean, it's got, they're not necessarily like mountains, but we got some steep daggum hills on that place. And I distinctly remember one time dragging a doe up this hill where I'm taking like three steps at a time and then stopping. And I'm just like, this is the dumbest thing ever. Why am I doing this? Yeah. Uh, it gets it gets hard. But uh, um, so I know that you hunt a lot of places that are way far off a road, but are there any spots that you hunt that are kind of close to roads, maybe more overlooked areas? Oh yeah, oh yeah. I hunt a lot of places that are. I got a I got a couple of really hot spots that are, are like a hundred yards off the road. What What are those spots like? Why Why are people not going in there? They're really thick drains, and it's like from the road you look at it, and it's like a nightmare. And you, uh, one of them actually step off where the culvert's at there in the road and walk the edge of the water. And once you go back there a little bit, it opens out into a beautiful place mm-hmm. with a big water oak there. I climbed, uh, we didn't have water oak acres here last year. The year before that, I climbed in one of them and saw, uh, I saw three bucks and two does in, uh, in one afternoon. And, uh, I'd already killed a small buck, so I had to let the two small bucks run around all under me. And, uh, a really, a really good rack buck was the last one to come through, and it, it just it felt too far. It was light was was getting low, and they were two does standing there while he was going through. So I didn't shoot the does. Then the next morning, I when I hunted, I didn't see anything. I went back and got my stand, got my stand out, and I stepped it off, and the the big buck was twenty nine yards. It's a little, it's a little too far for me to shoot at, but mm. it's a good anyway, and. uh I ended up hunting somewhere else <laughs> and I didn't go back to it. Yeah. And, and spots like that, or is, is there typically like a parking lot or are you just pulling over on the side of the road and just went? I, I almost always pull past it and I usually park on the other side of the road. Ah. Yeah, I had to play these mind games. <laughs> I had to play mind games with these guys hunting around here. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. I'm right there with you. I've, I've, I've done that before for sure. Like, especially <laughs> When, it, when I'm looking at it, like, it seems like, like an obvious spot, but maybe to other people it's not, but I'm still, like, nervous about it, and I'll, like, try and throw people off with how I park, too. Uh, I've done that several times. Yeah, I had a, really, a, a real funny story. I had a little guy once, and we pulled into this little, you know, there's a bunch of little walking roads on these management areas here to walk in only. He pulled right there, and he got out, and he unrolled a handful of toilet paper and threw it down. Unrolled a handful of toilet paper. He had like four or five piles out there around. I said, what are you doing? He says, man, somebody will come through here and they'll think this is getting hunted to death. <laughs> <laughs> Dang, I'm using that. <laughs> Tennessee, get ready. I just part of letter and I shouldn't do that. 
Yeah, I got to thinking about it one day. You know, you pull up to a place and it looks like people have relieved themselves in the morning before they go hunting. All them piles of toilet paper out there. You say, man, I ain't hunting here. Everybody's going in here. <laughs> <laughs> you some melted Hershey chocolate bar? <laughs> oh, son. You heard it here first, folks. <laughs> this is this is a new tactic, man. I'm going to do that. <laughs> you better believe I'm going to do that. That's smart. <laughs> Jacob, you got anything on the overlook spots? Not really, because you kind of you kind of touched on parking and kind of like what you're looking for in some of those areas. I mean, pretty much all overlook spots like that that are close to roads is just going to be extremely thick. That kind of keeps people deterred from it. I mean, pretty much is that correct? Yes, yes, yeah. So, no, I mean, pretty much. I think we covered that at least to my liking. Um, when it comes to really when it kind of going back to access, this kind of hit me. Do you are you ever using like waders or hip waders at all in any of these areas? I have, I have used waders before. Gotcha. Is yeah. that something that you feel like also deters people if they have to use, you know, that kind of equipment to be able to get back to a spot? Yeah, ninety percent of your hunters is not going to do that. And uh, yeah, it, I mean, you you cross a, a body of water, usually you got that place to yourself. Well, if we get some rain, we might have to do that, but. The way it's been looking right now in Alabama, I don't think we're going to have to do that in late October. Yeah, so, it's got me bummed out. All right, cool. Well, I mean, other than that, I think you pretty much answered all the questions I've thought about for, you know, your area of your hunting. You know, maybe, um, I mean, we also kind of just, whenever your your whole setup on archery equipment, you know, shooting traditional archery. Uh, one th- well, okay, one thing I can ask, you know, if there was a guy, Again, if you were going to give any kind of advice to any of our listeners about just the region of the country you hunt in, what is like the biggest piece of advice that you think that would help them out at least get started hunting public land in your area? You you gotta you gotta scout and do it when it's not deer season, not when you're in a hurry to go climb a tree. Yet pick you up. the the way I learn a, a new piece, a new piece of property is a block at the time, and I usually try to get the thickest block first. But uh, I learned the lay of the land, walk the sloughs, walk the little roads. And a GPS is the one fine, fine thing. I mean, you can uh, go in, you find something really hot, mark it, then drive around the block, find the best way in with a good wind. You know, we've all done that before where you walk through this place and you say, man, I'm a long ways from the road. This is a really good place to hunt. And you hear a car go by like 100 yards away. And you were, had come out on the other side of the road, sort of, you know what I mean? But scouting scouting pre-season and the best time to scout is january and february all the leaves are gone you can see the lay of the land you can find the persimmons because they're black you can find the swamp chestnuts because they they white shaggy bark they're easy to spot you can see the old scrapes you can you can uh, see the trees that were really good feed trees because the ground will still be tore up under them and you remember all them and then when it's August, you go in there with your binoculars and see which one of those trees you found had got fruit on them. And uh, you already got you some good places to hunt. You just got to come follow up on them. Boom. That's what I'm talking about. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, uh, Robert, man, we definitely appreciate you coming by and uh, helping us out here because uh, I definitely need help <laughs> with my deer season. I've been struggling a little bit. Uh, and I'm I'm super interested to try that thermal thing out that you were talking about. Uh, but, man, I, I hope you have a, a great rest of your deer season, and I hope it, it ends as good as it started. All right. It will. It's, uh, I hope so. Anyway, I'll be after him having fun with it regardless. 
All right, everybody, and that wraps up that portion of the podcast. Now it's time for the outro. Mr. Jacob Myers, what did you think of that? Um, it was very much similar to uh, Richard Fox's episode. It was. Like that feature tactic, except the only thing different I really – or one of the major things I saw different that um, Robert really focuses on is you know getting much closer in, in that thick cover where Richard really didn't worry about that all that much. Robert really dives in on uh, those areas with those features, which I was like, man, that's the ticket, I think. Yeah, that, that got me pretty pumped talking about that stuff, man. Uh, and again, dude, just every week, man, these guys are just hammering on just thicket, thicket, thicket. That's what you want to be in is thick stuff. Uh, and I can definitely attest after this last hunt I had, which maybe we can get into a little bit later here. Um, I mean, dude, it's just it's just where the deer live. I mean, that, that's all there is to it. Um, and especially here's, here's where I think that people go wrong, or at least where I have gone wrong with like deer hunting media and like deer hunting tactics from across the country is like, like Dan and fault and the hunting beast. Like, I love that tactic. I highly subscribe to it and I have listened to a lot of what those guys say, but at the end of the day, and man, who did we talk to about this? It had to do with like night beds and day beds. That might have been Glenn, um, where it's like you know we'll talk about hill country bedding or something, and you'll like you'll go look for beds on a ridge in like some more open woods, and you're like, okay, this this point is right here. It drops off heavy. Uh, with this wind, it would be correct. Let's go see if there's a bed there. And it's like nine times out of ten, you'll find a bed there. It's like the beds are there. But it, when you try to key in on that stuff, I mean, almost never, I almost never see deer on stuff like that. Uh, and me and Michael have been talking about it a, a ton lately. And, I mean, we've kind of just come to the conclusion that it's security first and just the wind is going to do what the wind is going to do. At this point, I don't really think that the deer are, like, hardcore, you know, trying to get a wind advantage when they're bedding. I think that they're finding the most secure cover they can. And if it happens to be in a spot where they, they have a great wind, then awesome. Or, or maybe they're just finding the thickest cover they can, and maybe within that bedding area they might adjust for the wind. But even then, I, I still really don't know. Um, what, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, I agree. I mean, I, I, I don't really have a, a huge opinion on it. I, I do believe, though, that if you get, do get in the thick cover, you're going to find deer being and feeling more natural and, and more calm in those areas yeah uh so you know of course if the does are going to be there come the rut the bucks are going to be there and really it just makes sense that a deer is going to be somewhere where he and she whatever is going to feel very comfortable moving through it in that thicker cover uh every, you know every time you see deer in a on a wide open oak ridge top every time i've seen them they're very edgy they're very on edge they're aware of every little noise every little sound every little movement and uh, when you get them in those thick stuff, they're very relaxed. I mean, Adrian Farley, you know, talked to me about that. He explained that to me. Now, Glenn talked about that on his episode. Um, uh, Jeff uh, Homan talked about that, you know, using the trail cameras and everything. I mean, pretty much everyone we talked to that hunts these thick areas have seen that the deer act very natural and very calm in those areas. And they're not so jumpy, mm -hmm. uh, which not only gives you an opportunity to be able to um, you know, get a good, really good shot at a deer, um, but also I think it gives you an opportunity to have more deer walk past you 
and be more selective because they're, you're not worried about them running, busting out there, you know, being on edge. Yeah. You know, if, the, if the right deer isn't in front of you, then right, big deal. Let them keep on moving through and wait for that next, you know, quality deer that you're trying to shoot, whether it's a, you know, a old doe, a big buck or old pocket deer, it don't matter. Yeah. Yeah. And one thing to point out here is like, when I talk about Dan Infault like that, I don't think that Dan Infault's wrong. I think that what he talks about is probably very true for his part of the country, but you know, at like the the main difference between at just generally speaking, of course there's upset, uh, um, exceptions, but generally speaking, the the big difference between like the South and the Midwest is that the Midwest in a lot of places has a much higher deer density, they have more high quality food, and they have less high quality cover. Where typically we have lower deer densities than they do. We still have areas with really high deer densities, but on an average, lower deer densities, um, we might not have as much high-quality food in most areas, but the main thing is we've got enormous amounts of good cover in most areas of the south. I mean, it's just a fact of life down here. There's a lot of thickets. We have a long growing season. There's, There's a lot of opportunity for stuff to just grow. And so you end up with so much more cover than like if you were to put a ratio to it then like what the what a lot of places in the midwest have you know our ratio we have a a much higher amount of cover than than they do and i think that's what makes it harder down here is when you have like the piece that me and michael have been hunting we have i mean just I i would love to actually like measure it out as like what is like thick cover versus like what is more open stuff because I bet it's dang near 50-50. Uh, so it's like, how do you know which cover is the right cover, blah, 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 this and that. Uh, man, it's just, it's it's a difficult game trying to figure that out down here. Um, so I think it, for me, it's been super helpful talking to all these different guys who have just been like, thickest stuff you could ever imagine trying to get through is, is what you're going to find the deer in. Uh, so I, I definitely think that's true. It's just a matter of, first of all like personally learning what that looks like because uh, i mean that just takes boots on the ground you know hard work you're gonna have to go out there and honestly just bump some deer uh and, like walk until you find them um but i think once you find it it'll get a little bit easier you know yep yeah exactly it's all personal experience i mean i actually i saw someone post this this week you can listen to as many podcasts as you want but it's not going to necessarily make you a better hunter um really you have to apply these tactics and actually go experience them for yourself and see what works for you in the region of the country you live in hunting yeah Um, that's so true that's so true it can i'll say this a podcast or youtube video or an article can equip you to become a better hunter but it will not make you a better hunter exactly yeah exactly i mean you, you gotta test out what we're talking about man someone's getting some text messages yep As our guest, sending me pictures of a bunch of stuff he's killed. Well, let's kind of go go over a little bit about what's going on in Georgia um, and kind of like the situation there. So we talked a little bit about this last week, um, which I have more details on it now. But so basically, I think I, I mentioned this spot before, but this, this particular area is kind of hard to access. Uh, it sets up really well because you've got some main roads on this property that everybody drives on, and then you got some, like, secondary, like, logging roads and stuff. Some of them you can drive on, some of them you can't. Um, 
and there's this one pine thicket, and like I said last week, me and Michael have been running across deer in these 2011 cutovers where they cut them in 2011 and they're growing back, and they just, for some reason, the deer seem to be liking that thickness. Um, I think it's because they planted the pines in, in like really straight rows in these places, and uh, there's a lot of sunlight getting down in between those rows, and it's just thick, man. I mean, the, the cover in some of these areas is almost as high as the pines, and the pines are probably you know, 12 to 15 feet high. I mean, it's just extremely thick. So there's this one area like that up way up on this ridge. And the way it sets up is there's, there's roads on the bottom part of this, of the, of this cutover. And on the top part of the cutover, there's some hardwoods. There's actually a hardwood ridge, which is high graded, which we'll get into in a second. And then you got this big, deep creek bottom, and then it, the bottom drops off, and you cross the creek, and then it goes up and hits that main road. So to to get at these deer, like if the deer were bedding there, nobody's coming from behind them because that cutover is just ungodly thick. So no one's coming from back there. So if people were going to come up at them, they'd basically be walking straight up that hill to get on the same level as the deer, which puts the deer at like a serious advantage. Um so me and Michael had both noticed this on the map separately, uh, and I noticed it because of the saddle that was running through that cutover, and he noticed it for some other reason. I think he noticed it for what I just pointed out, how it's set up for like where they could kind of monitor access to an extent, uh, which this is like a quarter mile back in there, or actually no, half a mile back in there. It's actually a pretty decent walk. Um, so Michael ended up going in there first, and first first sit in there, he bumped a couple deer out of the place, got up in a tree, and ended up seeing two really, really nice bucks. Uh, one of them was super impressive, and he actually did get some video of it, uh, which is on the Unrested Facebook page if y'all want to go look at it. It's a nice, like, clean 10-point, huge buck, uh, and they skirted him up on top of this ridge. So... What makes it so good is that in a lot of these areas in, you know, central Alabama, central Georgia, and some of Mississippi too, where, uh, where basically timber is your main, like, industry. Like, you don't have soybean fields, you got timber, planted pines. Most of your treetops, pretty much all your treetops, or not treetops, all your ridge tops are going to be cut at some point or another. They're mostly all planted pines, and the only hardwood you get are down in the bottoms. Well, in this place... Pretty much this whole ridge top is cut, except this one finger ridge running out uh, from the main ridge. And it's the same elevation, but it's not cut. Uh, it's still hardwoods, which we thought was interesting. Uh, after getting up there and actually looking at it, what it is is when they logged those pines, they came in there and high graded that, which means they, they cut everything on top of the hill. But for some reason on this little finger ridge, they went in there and selectively cut, um, basically selectively cut the, the more straight, like oak trees and everything, and I guess hickories too, uh, the, the ones that would bring the most money at market. So they cut those and left everything else. So you're left with like a really low tree density, just like, I mean, I'm talking like 10 trees per acre or something like that, just not many trees at all left in there, which opened up the canopy. And so underneath it is just thick, man. I mean, just nasty thick. It's not briars. It's more like saplings and, and just all kinds of other stuff growing up in there. And it's not that hard to push through, but when you're down in it, I mean, you can see five to ten feet at the most. And that's where those bucks were living. I mean, those the, they came slipping through there at 2.30 in the afternoon on a 93-degree day. I mean, clearly, like, extremely comfortable in there. So 
Unfortunately, Michael got a kidney stone and had to quit hunting, <laughs> so he wasn't able to get back in there after him. So a few days go by, and I push up in there from a different angle, and uh, I got up there yesterday and had one of the coolest hunts that I've ever had in my life, for sure. Uh, I basically took my sweet time getting in there. I took like two hours to access, slowed down, and I, I decided to do the thing where you're like walking up in there and you're like, I'm not going to set up unless I can find like three good reasons to set up in this spot and like force yourself to think of three good reasons to actually get in a tree where you're standing, which I think is like a great thing to do. Um, so long story short, I push up on top of this hill. I go super, super slow. Uh, cause I knew that deer were going to be bedded up there, especially with how thick it was. And I crest the top of the hill and I'm not too worried about being seen by a deer unless I get, I mean, right up on top of it. So I crest up on top of that hill and I stand there for probably 20 minutes. I stand up just up against a tree, bow in hand, arrow knocked, and just stand there for like 20 minutes and just listen. And uh, one, I'm listening for deer because uh, I don't want to start climbing up if there's a deer, you know, rummaging through there. But also I was trying to figure out which oaks were dropping. And there's a few dropping here and there, but there was these two oaks in particular that were really dropping good. And I got over there as close as I could to them and looked, and I could see there was sign up underneath them. So um, I shimmy up in this little poplar tree, and I, I'm set up ready to go uh, at like noon. And probably 3 o'clock, I hear something to my left, and coming up out of the bottom, up on top of the ridge, here comes this bobcat. And this dang bobcat has a big old swamp rabbit in its mouth, dude. Just carrying the swamp rabbit, and uh, I tried to get footage of it. I don't know if I did. I'll have to. I haven't looked at the footage yet, but that was one of the coolest things I've ever seen in the deer woods for sure. Just a big old swamp cat or bobcat carrying a swamp <laughs> rabbit. Big old swamp cat. You better watch out for the swamp cats. <laughs> Black panthers. Black panthers. So that thing moves off, and uh, so one interesting thing about one really interesting thing that we can't quite figure out is. You know, typically when you get up on top of a ridge, your wind's going to be pretty consistent. Uh, this, so this ridge, like I said, it's a finger ridge coming off another main ridge. And the, just the topography here is, is kind of like the ridges get up and they're not flat on top, but they have very little elevation gain. Like it's a steep hill going up and then it kind of flattens off a little bit. And so, like I said, you know, you have this ridge top and then you have a deep hardwood bottom and then you have... Uh, the main road up on the next ridge and where I'm sitting is at the same elevation as the main road so I'm like okay I'm not gonna be getting a weird wind kicking off that because I'm at the same level or above it well I get to sit in there and every time the wind picks up I mean it just nails me right in the back of the neck and flows right up into the into the bedding area and so that had me pretty worried but it was like I could have moved but it's like no matter where I moved, like the wind was just swirling right there like crazy. And I don't really know why, but I mean, that just goes to show again, those bucks are up there. I mean, the wind swirls so bad, maybe maybe they are keying in on the wind and they're hanging out up there just because, I mean, no matter what direction you come from with that wind swirling, it's going to screw you up. And the only thing I can think of it being is that when the wind gets going strong, it goes, it somehow goes down into that bottom and creates some back pressure and eddies. And that's why it's like kicking up and hit me in the back of the neck. Cause when it was uh when it was calm, like when the when it was just a light breeze, the wind was fine. But as soon as you get like a gust of wind, man, it would it would eddy right there and swirl really bad. So that was that was not good. 
And at five o'clock, sure enough, here comes this doe. And she's walking down from the bedding area. She's coming down the ridge. And she gets like 50 or 60 yards from me and the wind swirls. And she busts me. And, dude, I'm not kidding you. I think this doe blew at me for 45 minutes. It was ridiculous. Like, she would not shut up to the point where I almost climbed out of the tree and, like, walked over there to either try and shoot her or just scare her off so she would shut up. I mean, it was ridiculous, man. I bet she blew 150 more times. It was crazy. So <laughs> that was kind of aggravating. But I wasn't too worried about it because I've seen how other deer react to that, and usually it's not bad. So she moves off, and just a little bit after 6, uh, probably 10 or 15 minutes after she left, I hear something coming down out of the bedding area, and I look over, and here comes three does, and they skirt me. And they go down the drainage, and they kind of work their way down into somewhere where I can't see them. But I, I end up not getting a shot at any of those does. So th they move away, out of my life, whatever. And then probably just a couple minutes after those does left, I hear a deer stand up. Like distinctly, I hear it like stand up. And I look to my left, and like the crest, the very like top of the hill is to my left about 60 yards, um, like further down the ridge. A deer had stood up over there, and I was like, it's so thick I couldn't see it, but I was seeing, like, trees shake here and there, and I was, like, catching a glimpse of something brown coming through. I get my binos up, and I'm looking through my binos at this thing, and I'm just catching, like, a piece here and there, and there's one point where it's standing under this oak eating, and I can hear it, like, popping acorns in its mouth and everything and crunching them. And I'm looking at it, and I could see its butt like sitting there just eating and I can see its butt and I'm like looking and I'm like trying to lean around this tree and then I see like this black thing and I focus in on it and it's its eyeball I can see the thing's eye through the brush and that's like all I can see is his eye and I can see his butt and so he sits there eating and, and he's rummaging around and I keep catching glimpses of antler here and there and I cannot tell what he is but he's feeding like right like he's gonna come right past me and he gets to I have a gap about the size of, like, the the hood of a car that I can shoot through. And the shot would be about 30 yards, which I'm comfortable with. Um, so it's it's feeding down through there, and it gets probably about 10 yards from that gap, and it's just slowly feeding down the hill. It's in front of me for probably 25 minutes at this point. And then another doe comes up from behind me, and she wins me and runs out of there blowing. Well, the buck, he just stood there. And he stood there, like, silent, didn't move for a couple minutes. And then he just goes right back down to eating. And he sits there and eats, and I can hear him, but I can't see him anymore. And then it sounds like he's kind of starting to go back up the hill. And so he eats for just a couple minutes, and then I hear him stop eating again, and then he just walks over the hill. Not running, not, not anything. He just kind of walks back from where he came from, from where he got up out of his bed. And he crests over the hill, and I guess he went down the other side. Well, like two minutes later, uh, a doe comes right from where he came from. I thought he was coming back. Uh, and then this deer walks through, and it, it actually did come through my gap, and it was like a little doe, uh, which I didn't shoot. Um, but I mean, it was a little bitty doe. She, I would have, to be completely honest, I would have shot her, but she came through the gap a little too fast. Um, so, yeah, and that was pretty much the extent of my evening. But something that was pretty cool, was just sneak into within like 60 yards of that bedded buck. And I got in at 1230 and he didn't stand up till six o'clock. And another thing is that Bobcat it definitely walked within 20 yards of him. And he never even, he, ne he didn't budge 
uh, that bobcat just strolled right through. I never heard him get up. I never heard him blow or do anything. So he just kind of sat there and let it do its thing. Um, but yeah, I mean, dude, that's my most productive hunt of the year so far. And it was definitely in one of these thicker areas that people have been talking about. And how hot was it that day? Oh, I think yesterday it got up to 95 and I had, I had deer moving two hours before dark, you know? And you get in at, at noon. What an animal. Oh yeah, dude. Sick for it. That's what the sick of people say. Yeah, you a, a name brand hunter, man. Yeah. <laughs> first light. <laughs> yeah, I am digging that first light stuff. I really, it's pretty comfy. Uh, so yeah, yeah. The reason I got in so early is because I just wanted to like really sneak into this place and give myself plenty of time. I skipped the morning hunt, and I just like kind of took my time, got some work done that morning. And then just kind of decided that I was going to spend the rest of the day just slowly, slowly, slowly working into this spot and really taking my time. And uh, it definitely paid off, man. I mean, taking my time getting up in there. I mean, I got I got so close to that thing without spooking it. It still surprises me. But then also, you know, I I didn't set up in just the right spot. But at the same time, I mean, I set up in the best spot that I knew. You know, it's like, it's 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 one of those areas where when you get up there, it's really hard to know just where you should get, because I can't necessarily just go like pushing through all this cover, like looking for the hottest feed sign, because like I said, I can't see more than like five to ten feet, so I just had to listen for some trees dropping and and try and see them as best I could before getting up. Um, but I don't know, man. I'm gonna let it cool down for a few days, and I'm just gonna go back up in there and see what happens. Because uh, now I, I know just where to set up because it seems like the deer were following a pattern in there. So uh, I'm going to go back in there and hopefully kill something. Hopefully kill one of those bucks. That'd be really nice. I was going to say, looking back at would you have done anything different knowing what you know now? No, not really. Because, um, I mean, hindsight's twenty twenty. I mean, th- so the way that this is, think of, think of the shape of this ridge almost like an oak leaf where you have like the big lobes coming off the sides but the lobes on the oak leaf are like drainages coming off this thing so it's like you have like the main spine of the ridge and then you have like the point of the ridge and you have two drainages coming off the left and right side there and then like 50 yards back you got two more drainages coming down um the two bucks that michael saw went down the last two drainages closest to the cutover uh, they popped out of the cutover and walked down that one. Uh, and then the buck that I saw was bedded, like, basically in between the front two drainages farthest from the cutover. Uh, and I basically kind of got in between them, uh, just because, I, purely because I was just trying to hunt, like, an oak tree. I wasn't, I, I didn't think that, that it would funnel them that good, but it definitely seems like it was funneling pretty good, because the does and that buck, and the little doe, all of them were working down those drainages. So it definitely, even though they were in like this hard-to-access spot and really thick cover, they were. it still seems like they were using the low spots to their advantage. So within those drainages, just thick, 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 hard to see them in them, uh, they're still using the low spot in that because I, I think it makes them feel more secure. Uh, so that was interesting. So, I mean, that's something I'll take in there, you know, next time I go into that spot. Dude, that's gonna be freaking awesome. Dude, that's 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 great that you're now kind of finding a pattern 
and also finding the kind of cover that those deer are really keen in on. Yeah, especially that high-graded timber uh, or the high-graded hardwoods. I know some spots on our home parcel that are like that where I'm like, man, I'm going to definitely look into that more. Because uh, I know right off the top of my head a few spots that are kind of like that where, you know, that, that those hardwoods have been cut and you actually have basically, you basically have like a thick bedding area with oak trees in it. And it's like, they do not have to leave that thing. And like I said, these deer were on their feet for two hours before dark and they didn't really leave that bedding area until dark, you know? So... I mean, they can, you know, and it was it was a record high yesterday. It was 95 degrees, and they were still up two hours before dark. So, you know, if I had been sitting down in the bottom, I'd be like, oh, they just didn't move today. When in reality, I mean, they were on their feet for a long time, and they were very relaxed, and they were just mulling around in there doing their thing. Uh, so it could really make for some killer hunting. And also with that cover, I think it just goes to show that you can make some noise and get away with it. Um I mean, it, it's it's so dry right now. You can't, you cannot go through the woods and not make noise. It's just impossible. But doing, um, just like some some of these people we've interviewed have said, just kind of like one minimizing your noise, but two also just trying to sound natural. Uh, like I was going through there, like trying to you know break up my steps. I'd I'd walk to one tree and then I'd look around and I'd see another tree and I'd like slowly walk to that tree. So you're really breaking up your walking much like a deer does. Or or sometimes I'll just yelp like a turkey too, uh, which I mean, a couple weeks ago I, wa- I walked within 12 yards of some does before they blew up out of their beds uh, yelping like a turkey because, you know, they, they're familiar with that sound for sure. So I, I do think that really does make a difference because um, there's, there's no doubt that that buck heard me walk up in there, but he just didn't care because he probably thought I was another deer or something. Yeah, and, and funny thing you said about like the whole turkey thing. I, when I was uh, hunting, holiday hunting with uh, Adrian last week, uh, I told him that you know that's something that you do. And he says he does the same thing, but uh, he like will consistently like when he's walking, he will scratch, he will like kick the leaves and stuff with his boot to sound like a turkey scratching. Uh, like every so often, especially like when it's super dry and he's getting close to like some of these real thick areas, he'll do that, and uh, he he says he swears by it too. Yeah, actually, last year when I missed that buck in Georgia, which now you've seen where I missed that buck, so you kind of know the layout, um, rather than kind of like walk down the road and duck into the woods, I actually walked right up the middle of those woods, um, starting from like way south of of where he was bedded, and I walked all the way up that woodlot because I didn't want to pop any gravel or anything, and also just how the wind worked out, it would have been better. So I just, instead of walking on the gravel road and risking, like, making that sound, I just got up in the leaves, which are super loud. But I was, I did that exact thing, dude. I would yelp every couple minutes, and I would scratch leaves, and I just slowly made my way up there. And I, I got to within 70 yards of that buck in his bed. So, I mean, that, that definitely works because, I mean, these deer live out in the woods. They hear stuff all the time they hear weird noises and they hear crunching leaves and breaking sticks all the time you just i think you just have to do it in a way that sounds really natural yeah just do it and then also don't make human tout noises because that's the one thing they don't hear very often and when they do it's not a good sign <laughs> yeah yeah that's de- <laughs> that's definitely true um yeah yeah dude i'm glad i'm finally on some deer i mean we've been seeing deer here and there but it hasn't I mean, it goes back to what we've been talking about literally since we started this podcast. 
about like it seems like we find pockets of deer it's like me and michael have been hunting this place and both of us have been seeing deer here and there like we might see one or two or we might see a group of does but then we went in here and i saw like six different deer last night and when michael hunted it he saw six or more deer that night so it's like you know we bounced around and bounced around and now we're in that spot where all of a sudden we're seeing like high numbers of deer and they're very comfortable in daylight we're definitely in that pocket it's only a matter of time. It's only a matter of time. <laughs> bloody, bloody air, more bloody arrows and deer laying, yeah. laying down. Uh, I was gonna ask, were you using any milkweed, or have you used all yours? Uh, no, I don't. I forgot to bring it actually. Um, what I was doing is when I got out there, you know, you got like these dirt roads. I just take some dirt and like throw it way up in the air and and watch where it was going, uh, which is not as good as milkweed, but it gave me a general idea. And then I just, to, I forgot any wind checker. So it's like some things I'll do is like, I'll check it with dirt or like a crushed up leaf. I'll like grab a leaf and crush it up and drop it and see which way the wind's going. And then also like when I was up in the tree, you know, you can like pick bark off the tree and like crumble it between your fingers and drop it. And, uh, and that'll tell you which way the wind's going too. Um, I wish I had my milkweed though, cause it would have been really interesting to see what the wind was actually doing there. Cause I mean, it was just crazy how it was yesterday and michael experienced the exact same thing where every time it gusted for some reason it just blew right up towards that dang cutover which is so inconvenient like that is the exact wrong way for it to blow uh so i think that i'm gonna hold off on that spot until i get really good calm conditions and i'm just gonna do what i did the other day and just ease up there super super slow Hopefully we got like super light and variable winds, in which case I think that I'll be golden uh, getting in there. As long as it doesn't gust hard and eddy and swirl right up into that bedding area, I think it'd be a dynamite setup. Well, one thing I just kind of thought about, like I'm wondering how much the thermals and everything are affecting that. And actually, depending on how high you're on, you're up in the tree, where where are those where's that wind and that scent cone actually going 40, 50 yards from you? Yeah. Is it actually? making it all the way up there or is it also changing as well um so i'd be very interested in, in you know you going back in there drop some milkweed and seeing what it's really doing because i've got a feeling dude uh, dude i've got a feeling it might be hitting you in the back of the neck but before it's getting to the top and cresting over the top I, i've got a feeling it's dropping back down or doing something yeah uh so that would be very fascinating for you to go back in there like similar conditions and drop some milkweed to see what that looks like yeah yeah, I mean, it, it was blowing straight up towards the pines where all the deer, or where I assume a lot of the deer are bedding, and I mean, it, it blew up there for a significant amount of time of that hunt, like I was mad about it, but then uh, I had, I guess, four deer, or really five deer come from that direction. How many deer did I see yesterday? Wait, one, two, three, four, five. Oh, I saw seven deer yesterday. I've been telling people I saw six. I saw seven. Uh, so yeah, I guess... Um, five of those deer came from those pines after my wind had been blowing over there. Uh, now granted two of them or one of them busted me that first doe, uh, that last doe that busted me while the buck was in front of me, she got me on my thermals. Uh, she actually got downhill of me behind me, uh, and smelled me. But, um, I mean, if they, if they were up there and smelled me, they either didn't care or they didn't smell me. I think, um, uh, I don't know. It's pretty weird. Uh, it, it's hard to explain for sure. But another thing is when I get in there next time, I'm going to I'm gonna make it a purpose to find like a nice 
straight tree that I can easily get way up on, and I'm going to get about as high as I can get in that thing uh, just to hopefully alleviate some of that pressure from the wind where hopefully if it does blow in the wrong direction, it'll blow over their heads, you know? Yep. Well, and other other news, um, hopefully I'll be able to get up to Tennessee this weekend. You and me were looking at the maps uh, beforehand on uh, Cal Topo, and what was the imagery you were looking at to see uh, whether or not that corn was cut? Ah, oh, man, that's a long subject. <laughs> it's it's a long explanation. Should should I try try to go over it? No, nah, we'll just make it to a video or podcast. We probably should. Uh, it, to give people an idea, it's false color infrared imagery. Uh, you can do it on Cal Topo. Um, there's a really long scientific explanation of what it is, but I don't know. We're already pretty long into this podcast. If people email us, we'll tell you about it. How about that? If people email are like, hey, butthole, I really want to hear about that. Why don't you talk about it? Then we'll do it. Oh, yeah. Well, anyway, so we're looking for cut cornfields, which I think we found up there in Tennessee. So super excited about that. Uh, in other news as well, by the time this podcast comes out, we should have uh, a limited supply of some leather patch Southern Outdoorsman hats, uh, which is the first run. So if anyone's interested in you know, getting one of these leather patch hats, which we posted on, uh, I think it was on Instagram, probably about a week or two ago, uh, feel free to message us. We're trying to figure out how we're going to actually do the selling since we don't necessarily right now have any kind of e-commerce set up on the website. So we'll probably just do it straight through the uh, Southern Outdoorsman PayPal. But uh, we're going to try to do that announcement sometime this week. Uh, in the week this podcast drops and uh, try to figure out how we're going to do that. But we have a very limited supply. So if you want one, uh, make sure you get ready for it. Uh, so once we uh, I do the announcement, you can uh, jump on that and get one of these hats. Yeah, dude, I'm, I'm super eager to get that hat. looks pretty slick. <laughs> I can't wait. Uh, and yeah, we got a really good response from it. So thanks everybody who responded, uh, who said they wanted one. Like 98% of people on that poll wanted one. So that's pretty cool. So uh, hopefully they go pretty fast. That would be nice. Uh, so, yeah, if you guys like them, just reach out. We'll probably just do it through that PayPal account for now. Um, and depending on how this first run goes, we'll we'll probably get some more merchandise in, set up the e-commerce and streamline it, and everything will be fine and dandy. Well, other than that, dude, I'm good to go. I'm, I'm uh, worn out, ready to uh, get ready for tomorrow and do pack the pack the truck because uh, this weekend is going to be legit i cannot wait man. <laughs> man i would i would say everyone be watching the instagram for this weekend but this is dropping on monday we're recording this on a wednesday which we normally don't do uh usually we record them on sunday night <laughs> but uh but yeah if you're not following the instagram go do it because jacob's gonna have a big fat picture of a giant buck on there that he shot in tennessee right yeah yeah <laughs> wow wow that's the that's the yes of confidence right there you're like yeah i guess he jinxing me once again man man that, if you're good enough there's no such thing as jinxing i don't know what you're talking about it sounds like an excuse to me no i'm confident most likely i get a feeling if i do get an opportunity at a good deer i have a feeling it might be from off the ground Ooh. so yeah we'll have to see how that plays out but Super excited about it. Dude, I'm, I'm pumped. I'm so excited. Actually, I talked to Jake Emery today from uh, the um, Hunting Ground TV, and he said he might try to come down there this weekend as well with me, um, just depending on the whole situation with work and everything else he's got going on. But if that's the case, that would be awesome once again. So 
Heck yeah. Well, uh, everybody out there, be on the lookout for the hats. Go kill some deer if your season's in. Don't go kill deer if your season's not in. That's not a that's not a good thing to do. And <laughs> and, and everybody pray for some rain, man. We need some dang rain here in the south. I know people got food plots need to be getting in, and I got some swamps that need to be filled up with water for me to for my whole strategy I've been planning for three months to work out. So uh with that being said we'll end it there please share us with a buddy like and subscribe to our stuff on social media and leave us a review we'd really appreciate it Look, last summer, y'all heard us talk a bunch about the Mobile Hunters Expo. It was an incredible event. A bunch of you guys came out to meet us. We got to talk to, I don't even know how many listeners. If you heard all that last year and you were like, dang, that sounded cool, I should have went to that. Here's your chance. You need to make it to this one. It's June 28th through June 30th in Dalton, Georgia. All right, giving you a heads up here, so go ahead and mark it on your calendar. June 28th through June 30th, Dalton, Georgia is going to be the 2024 Mobile Hunters Expo. We're going to be there. A bunch of our past podcast guests are going to be there. There's going to be seminars. All of the mobile hunting companies are going to be there for you to try out gear before you buy it. It's like the one event of the year where all of the... The, like the mobile hunter ecosystem just kind of congregates in one place. And Chris and Josh and the guys have done an absolutely phenomenal job putting this thing together over the last couple years. And it keeps getting better every year. So like I said, make sure you come see us. We're going to have a gigantic stack of free stickers to give away to every listener that stops by the booth. And we're going to have merch there to purchase. We're going to be recording podcasts, shooting videos, all kinds of stuff. So like I said, don't miss it. You can head on over to the mobilehuntersexpo.com to look at show schedules and dates and go ahead and grab your tickets. So y'all go check it out at the mobilehuntersexpo.com.